Jesus, ask that you would open our eyes to what you have to say to us in Scripture and what that means for our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to show you something, and I want you to guess what it is. And some of you will be able to do this right away. What is this? Very good. You're all investors, right? That is the Dow Jones over the last six months. Look at that. Up, down, up, down, up, down. So that means that the other thing that this could be is an EKG of someone who has invested in the Dow Jones over the last six months. Now, if that were a roller coaster, nobody would ride on it. Or if they did, they would be, they'd throw up for a week afterwards. So let me ask you this. Have any of you felt theologically, que- or theologically, financially queasy lately? I don't know where that one came from. <laughs> financially queasy lately. Because I know that I have. Because see, here's the problem. If our happiness or our sense of security is tied to that, or how much money we have, we will experience primarily two emotions, fear and envy. Fear that we don't have enough, and envy of what everyone else has. But as we've said all fall in this sermon series, whenever Jesus was presented with a bunch of lousy options, he always chose none of the above and found a third way instead. And the parable we read today about this dishonest steward... I think shows us a third way, which I will name in a minute, that gets us out of the fear and envy trap when it comes to money, and instead helps us experience two other emotions, freedom and joy. You know, it's interesting to me that if you look in Luke, this parable comes right after the parable of the prodigal son. And if you remember how that story ends, that story ends in a party. And this story also, the one we read today, ends with the master commending the steward and everyone's debts getting canceled, so their party. So there's a party on either side, either side of this story, and I think part of what this parable is getting at is we're not having nearly as much fun with our money as we could be. Now, to be sure, you know, when Colin was reading this, you probably thought, this is a weird little story. It is a weird story, right, about a dishonest steward who gets fired for squandering his master's money, so, so he calls in all of his master's debtors, and he cuts all their bills in half, kind of ripping off the master a little bit, right, or it's seemingly so, and then the master says, way to go, good job. Well done. Huh? That's probably what Jesus' disciples said when he told it, right? Huh? Only in Greek, which is, huh? (laughs) But I think we don't understand it because we're not not clear on what Jesus is commending here. Jesus is not commending the steward's dishonesty. He's commending the fact that for the first time, the steward actually figures out what to do with the resources that he's been given. And that points to a third way When it comes to money, rather than fear and envy, rather than hoarding it or spending it, rather than consuming or collecting it, there's a third way called stewardship. And what stewards do is they manage someone else's stuff. And that's what this story is about. How do we manage the things that God has given us to take care of? Not just our money, but our time, our talents, our connections, all of that. Because you see, biblically speaking, everything we have belongs to God. Now, we don't think that. We think it belongs to us. And that we earned it through our hard work. And it's true, our hard work helped. But before our hard work, there were all kinds of things that God gave us. Many of us were born into families that gave us opportunity and education. We were given natural abilities and talents to use. We, were, we, we live in a prosperous country. All of that was God's decision, not ours. So directly or indirectly, everything we have comes from God. In fact, in this story, the word that is used for master is kurios in Greek which means Lord, and it's the same word applied to Jesus throughout the New Testament. 
So in a way, the master in this story represents God, and it's his stuff that the steward is given away. And that's just fun, right? To give away someone else's stuff, that's just fun. Um, the pastor that they hired to replace me in my former church, one Sunday, right after he got there, one Sunday, he told everyone in the uh, congregation to take out their wallet and hand it to the person next to them. And then he said, now, I want you to give like you've always wanted to give. <laughs> they missed me that Sunday, I'm sure, right? It is fun to give someone else's stuff away. Just ask a kid with his parents' credit card, right? And that is kind of what this parable is pointing to. The steward is a total rascal, okay? But even though he's a rascal, he manages to figure out two things to do with the master's resource that can get us out of the fear and envy trap when it comes to money and that lead instead to joy and freedom. And the first is this. The steward uses his master's resources to cancel debts and set people free. That's what he does. He just cancels everyone's debts, right? And, and that is an act rich in symbolic meaning in the Bible. As many of you know, every 50 years, God commanded in the Bible that a year of jubilee be celebrated. And in that year, uh, land was returned to its original owners, slaves were set free, and all debts were canceled. In Luke 4, Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of God's jubilee, and he invites us to be his jubilee people. And part of that is canceling people's debts. And there are all kinds of debts. There's economic debt. People are in poverty. We can help them out. But there's also spiritual debt. People feel guilty or filled with shame, and we can help them by telling them about Jesus who died to cancel their debt of guilt and shame. And it brings joy just to be a part of that. One of the things my wife and I like to do sometimes when we hear of someone in need, we will anonymously send them some money. And I remember one time, one of the people that we did that for, he came up to me with just this big old smile on his face. And he said, we just got an anonymous cashier's check in the mail, and we didn't know if we are going to be able to make rent, but now we can make rent. And he said, I just came out of the blue, and it just makes me feel like God's watching out for me. Do you know how fun it was to just stand there and smile and go, wow, cool, who would do something like that? Wow, awesome, right? Way more fun than if I just bought a TV with that money or something like that. I canceled debts. Second thing the steward does with the master's resources is he builds eternal relationships with it. Jesus says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth, and by that Jesus means temporary stuff, money, stuff, temporary. Use temporary stuff to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In other words, use temporary stuff to invest in eternal things. And there are only two things that are eternal, God and people. Use temporary stuff to deepen those relationships here on earth, knowing that they will last in heaven. Invest in eternal things. They last longer. It's just, it's just a better investment strategy than investing in stuff here on earth. Someone sent me an email a few weeks ago that was titled, Today's Stock Tip. And it said that if you had bought $1,000 worth of Delta Airlines stock a couple of years ago, guess how much money you'd have today? $49. That's it, out of 1000 if you purchase $1,000 in AIG, you'd have only $33. If you purchase $1,000 of Lehman Brothers stock, guess how much you'd have today? Zero dollars, right? But if you bought $1,000 worth of beer, drank it all, turned in the cans for recycling, you'd be $214 to the good. <laughs> so he said, there's your investment strategy. It's called the 401 keg plan. <laughs> I know, terrible, right? But I thought it was kind of funny. Right? Invest in the things that last, not temporary stuff. In fact, here are three financial rules to guide your life that many people have found liberating. One, live below your means. 
Don't buy the biggest house, car, TV that you can buy because then you're maxed out, stressed out trying to pay all the bills. Live below your means. Spend money on memories, not on things. The joy of a new TV or car, whatever, doesn't last. But if you spend money creating experiences that build memories, you're also building relationships, and those are forever. Live below your means. Money on memories, not on things. And the third way to freedom and joy is tithe. Tithe. Oh, man. I thought this was a sermon on getting free from fear, and now you mentioned that. Now I am afraid, right? I just... Hang on, I'm not going to make you feel guilty. I also just want to parenthetically say, in most churches, you get a tithing sermon at least once a year, if not more, whether you need it or not. And I have not given a tithing sermon in two years, so we're overdue. So this is going to be a long sermon. You're here for the duration. The word tithe means to give 10%. And it comes from the Old Testament where God says, give at least 10% of your income to the church that you're a part of. And yes, I think the Bible is clear First 10% goes to the worshiping community you're a part of, and I put some scriptures in the bulletin that show that. Now, the New Testament ups the ante and says giving should be sacrificial, which means that for many of us, including my wife and me, at our income level, we know 10% is not enough for us to be giving. So we give 10%, first 10% to this church, and then over and above that, we give to other Christian causes. But the reason I make it, mention it here is not to make you feel guilty or judged, anything like that, honest. Hear me, church, honest. Really, the reason I mention it is because it will set you free. I promise you. In fact, one of these days for the tithing sermon, I'm just going to give up and get up and say, tithe, you'll like it. It'll bring you joy. Let's stand for the benediction. Okay, you, you'll love that. You'll get out early. It'll be awesome. Really, it's not about the budget here. It's not. This is really something I've discovered, many of you have discovered. It'll set you free. Two ways. First, you discover, when you give a little more than you think you can, that God provides. Every year, I get lots of emails from people who decided to tithe and then have seen God miraculously provide. One couple was saving for a house, but then felt God nudged them to tithe. And that year, they got an unexpected tax return. His parents gave him some money, more than made up for what they'd given away. You see something like that, and it just builds your trust in God, not the Dow Jones in God. Right now, it doesn't always work that way. We don't always get more money when we tithe. But even if that doesn't happen, God blesses us in other ways. And that eases our fears because we see that God is trustworthy, more so than the Dow Jones. He provides not for our wants necessarily, but he provides for our needs. Which brings me to the second way that tithing frees us from fear and envy. And that is, we discover that we can be happy on less than we thought we could. Because here's the thing, no matter how much we have, there's always something else to want, right? Right? I mean, right, just when, just when you get that kitchen remodel done that was going to change your life and make you happy forever when you got that new kitchen, darn it, the neighbor's got a new car, and that's a cool car, and now I need that, right? But tithing means you don't buy things that you otherwise could, and pretty soon you realize you didn't actually need it that badly in the first place. Now, I have come to realize, and I've got to confess this, I've come to realize over the years that when it comes to tithing, I have a, an advantage. It's way easier for me to tithe than for many people. And do you know why? obviously it's because I'm a pastor and I'm holier, right? <laughs> Duh! Right? No, not. Not so much. Here's the advantage. My wife and I started doing this when we had almost nothing, right when we were first married. Living in the Bay Area on a very low salary in a very expensive Bay Area had almost nothing, but we tithed. And we saw God provide. And we realized we didn't need all the stuff we thought we did to be happy, and that's called Freedom. And I know there are all kinds of excuses around this one. Yeah, well, this is a big church. They don't need my money. Yeah, actually, we do. 
Big churches have lots of people with lots of needs, and we have a smaller staff than most churches our size to take care of those needs. Well, I give to lots of other worthy causes. I, I mean, Husky football, they need my help. Well, Lord knows they need something, right? But especially after last night's game. I mean, that was a basketball score, right? I mean, anyway, I, just parenthetically, people ask, when it's Huskies versus Stanford, where do I root? Huskies, right? Always go with undergrad. That's the rule. Anyway, I digress. Yes, the Huskies are awesome, but not eternal, right? Not eternal things. And that's the real issue here. When we are part of setting people free in the name of Jesus, we're part of something bigger than ourselves, and that just brings joy. Every year, I get dozens of emails of how lives have been changed through this church. Marriages changed, healed through the ministries of this church. Youth headed down a wrong track and turned around by our youth ministries. When you give, you're part of that, and that's just joy. You're setting people free, right? Our worship services are watched online on every continent in the world. Did you know that? Every continent except Antarctica, so... We've got to work on our penguin ministry. But other than that, people are hearing about Jesus. On top of that, the support we give to Eastside Academy, Jubilee Reach, places like Africa, Haiti, Cambodia, we are helping people out of poverty in the name of Jesus. In fact, one of the things I love about this church is that we give over 10% of our operating budget away to help people beyond the needs of this church. And on top of that, we have offerings throughout the year, special offerings, so we can give even more money away. In fact, did you know that if every Christian in America tithed and if every church gave 10% or more of its operating budget away, as this church does, that would be enough money to provide food, clothing, and education for all the poor of the world and still have $70 billion left over for church potlucks, right? And take care of all the needs of the church. And many of you do tithe. Thank you. Thank you. And others of you, I know you're out of work, so for you, maybe your gift comes for a while and giving some time or service. But if everyone in this church tithed, there is so much more that we could do. We could help a lot more folks out of poverty, help more youth and families. We'd love to reach out to young adults in our community and bless and empower the next generation because not a lot of churches are doing that. And then there's one other thing. One other thing that God's been doing this last year that I want to let you all in on. For decades, this church has looked into buying the houses around this church for lots of uses, Staff housing, for instance, because one of the problems in retaining staff here is the high cost of living around here, but also things like transitional housing for the homeless or a battered women's shelter, stuff like that. We've tried buying for decades. None of it worked. Well, a little over a year ago, some of our elders did a master site study, and they identified six properties that would be the most uh, strategic for us. That's the church right there. You see, there's the church. There's the steeple. You're all the people, right? And, and, and... <laughs> And up, that's the houses due north of us on 100th, right? Identified those. Um, and this is a long-term strategy to acquire those houses over the next 10 to 15 years. <clears throat> well, one month after our elders approved this plan, the house that is labeled number one came up for sale. And then a donor came forward, generously gave us all the money to buy that so the church could buy that house. And now Chris Martinson lives in that house, music director here. It's been a huge blessing for he and his family. Well, then, just two months after that, house number two came up for sale. Well, the church didn't have the cash to buy it, so one of our pastors, Scott Mann, bought it with the church loaning him the money for the down payment. Now, if Scott wants to sell it, we'll buy it back, minus what we loaned him. Or if at some point we have all six of those houses and, and we want to tear them down and build a women's shelter or a youth center or something like that, we'll go to Scott and tell him that God loves him and has a wonderful plan for his life. It's just not in that house anymore. <laughs> And then we will give him fair market value for that house. 
Okay, well then a few months after that, houses number three, four, and five all came on the market. That's when we realized that our long-term strategy was a short-term strategy. A donor gave us money that helped cover the cost of one of those houses, and then our elders approved taking on a little more debt um, for, um, for, for the others, and now we have five of the six properties almost done with our long-term strategy in a year. Now, oh yeah, that's cool. But, but you're going to clap again because that's not the coolest part. That's cool, but here's the coolest part. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Eastside Academy has for years, the school for at-risk teens here, has for years said if they only had a house they, that kids could live in, they could help them so much more. Some of these teens are actually homeless. Others come from homes where there's a lot of violence or drug abuse. And the problem is they come to EA, get clean and sober, but go right back into the homes that created the problems in the first place, so they get right back into that destructive cycle. Well, now we have been able to offer Eastside Academy the use of houses number three and five, one for boys, one for girls, and Union Gospel Mission is going to staff those houses with house parents who will love on those kids and, 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 and help those kids who live there full time. And perhaps the biggest miracle of all in all of this, the biggest miracle of all, we thought it was going to be this arduous, terrible process, getting approval to do this from the city. The city approved this in 15 days. They even sent our application fee back because they said it was such a slam dunk. Okay, when city governments start doing that, that is a miracle of biblical proportion. Now applaud. All of this is about setting captives free. Kids trapped in cycles of addiction and poverty or who are homeless, right? Now they're going to get a place to live. They're not dragged back into all the, the junk that, that, that set them on a destructive path in the first place. Talk about canceling debt, setting people free, giving them a new start. In fact, one of the things we're considering for house number four is to have some of our youth interns or young adult interns or something like that live there so that whole block becomes kind of an intentional community, loving on our youth, the youth of Eastside Academy, and to the neighborhood beyond. Remember this Newsweek cover I keep showing you? That God would so transform the East Side that we would be known as the new God's country? Guys, this is one more step in that direction. One last thing. You may have noticed, if you've paid attention, that we are actually have a budget surplus this year. Now, we don't know how that's happening, but thank you. You're being very generous. But it's interesting that it's this year because we had to take on about a million dollars of debt to get all of these houses. But if you all keep giving like this or even give a little bit more, we can finish with a surplus. We can cancel some of our debt without a capital campaign. Can someone say amen to that, right? <laughs> Which then frees the operating budget to do even more and help even more, even more people and sets us up to buy house number six when that comes on the market. Guys, God is on the move. I mean, how often do five houses in one block come up for sale one month after the church decides those were the ones God was leading us to? Coincidence? It is just another word when God remains anonymous. And you are part of all of this, all of this, when you give your resources for eternal purposes. And I hope that gives you joy. You are setting people free in the name of Jesus. Let me close with this. I recently got an email from a woman who went to a church as a girl but never really connected with it. 
Well, not long ago, she ended up having a, a difficult divorce and found her way here, visited us. But at first, she came in and she was horrified, right? We, we, did, we were not her idea of what church was. And she actually went to the other services even, but that horrified her too, right? Now, she's a great writer, so let me just pick it up in her words because she's a good writer. She wrote this. First time I went to First Press, I nearly ran out screaming. It was not church-like. First, there were the people when I walked in. They, they said hello and were friendly and smiled broadly, clearly heathens. The sanctuary was so light and filled with beauty that it seemed of this century, clearly no sanctity here. And just when I'd taken enough deep breaths to decide to stay, PowerPoint, I nearly keeled over right there. Pure sacrilege, that. I couldn't think of anything less church-like. The vestibule is sometimes called the lobby. We are streaming live. What kind of new age hippie commune have I stumbled into? <laughs> well, she goes on to say that nevertheless, she felt very connected to God. Um, but then she left and tried a bunch of different churches but kept coming back here. Our children's ministry staff reached out to her kids, were great for her kids, and with each service, she felt more connected to God. One day, there was a child acting up in baptism, and everyone in the congregation laughed, right? She said, laughter in church? I waited for God to smite us all down. But when he didn't, I realized that I might have found a place where devotion and sacredness, moral guidance, and laughter all coexist. Then she wrote this. She said, but ultimately, I have to say it was the PowerPoint that won me over. One Sunday, I realized that the audiovisual aids epitomized for me the thing that makes First Press so powerful and that was so new in my experience that I at first rejected it because I didn't understand it. This is a church that makes God and the practice of one's faith just another part of life, not some time spent in hushed, hermetically sealed places. My children now consider God as accessible to them as I am, and we feel welcome and joyful and this last critical piece seen for who we are. One Sunday, I was crying my way through church, Afterward, the woman next to me took my hand and asked if she could help. I said that I didn't think so. I said that I was crying because this was a church that I wanted to belong to, but wasn't sure that I could belong to, because I was a true blue sinner, a divorcee who had caused pain to families on both sides and who had changed the trajectory of her children's lives out of an attempt to create the life that she needed. This woman, whose name I didn't have the sense to ask, but whose smile I will never forget, patted my hand, leaned in, and said, You are exactly you are absolutely welcome, and you are exactly what this church needs. Why, if we didn't spice things up with a good transgression or two, we wouldn't have anything to work on. <laughs> so I hope that I've done justice to describing how First Press, in large ways and small, the meta and the minute, has given my family a third-way experience. That woman, that wonderful, lovely, lively woman, did not shun me for being divorced. Neither, though, did she excuse me for it. She simply painted a vision of good people doing hard work and invited me to join in. I'm so glad that we did. First Press Bellevue, that's what's great about you. That is what I love about you. In so many ways, you are making a difference in this world. In so many ways, because of the ways you give so generously, you are changing lives, you are setting people free. You have invested in eternal things, not just with your money, but with all of you. Whoever you were that said that to that woman, thank you, you wonderful, wonderful person. There's some debts getting canceled here. And some freedom happening, right? Debts of guilt and sin. There's a, there's a lot of relationship getting built between this woman and her family and God. And you're a part of that when you give. As I said earlier, this parable follows the story of the prodigal son. Which, as I've said before, is I think it's misnamed parable. It's, it actually should be called the prodigal father. Because the word prodigal means to be spendthrift, to be lavish. Right? And the prodigal son is a story about a prodigal father who is lavish with his grace and with his money, spends a fortune on a party for his lost son. 
And the story we read today is about a wasteful steward who is wasting his master's resources on himself. But when he's spendthrift on eternal things, it ends in celebration. And I think Jesus tells these two stories back to back to show that God is not stingy with his grace or with his love or with his power or with his resources. He is lavish. He is prodigal. That's his third way. Not consuming, not collecting, not fear, not envy, but joyful, hilarious giving. And then we see our prodigal God provide for us over and over again. And that builds strength and confidence. And we get to be part of setting people free. What do God's people do when the Dow Jones goes down? We give more so that Jesus can get his work done in the world. And then we watch our prodigal God shower us with his joy. So Jesus, we do want to be part of setting people free. We do want to be part of the ways you are making all things new. Lord, give us courage. Help us to give not just our money, but our time, our talents, our connections, our everything we got. In order that your kingdom can come and your will get done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for all the good things you give us in your name. Amen.